I want to welcome everybody to uh, Calvary Red Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Nolan. Uh, here with me today, I have Pastor Greg Seymour. He is the all-reigning pastor here at Calvary Red Rock. Um, today, we're actually going to just do a quick uh, introduction and overview of uh, Calvary Red Rock and Pastor Greg uh, as far as uh, how how everything started and how he got into uh, being a pastor and into the ministry. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to him. He's going to give us a, a, a quick backstory of uh, himself and how he kind of kind of fell into this calling. So well, thank you, Brother Nolan. And this is our first one. A little bit nervous, but we'll get the story out here. It's a testimony. So you asked me to give my testimony. It's really funny because um, when we collect our testimonies or our life experiences, uh, we're supposed to have some different ones. You've got what's known as a 30-second testimony, okay. a two-minute testimony, okay. like a 10-minute testimony, wow, and then the full-blown testimony. Now, if I'm going to do my full-blown testimony, right. we're going to be here till Wednesday, and, right. it's, and it's Saturday <laughs> right now. So I'll try to do this as quick as possible. Um, I was an entrepreneur for uh, my earlier adult life. I, even as a youth, always dreamed of being in business, running business, and getting very rich and retiring at 40 years old, a millionaire, and, okay. and on and on. And um, and honestly, I was on my way to doing that. Um, I majored in business administration. I started businesses at a young age, and throughout my 20s, was actually very successful at the stuff that I did. Uh, I had one little sidebar that was going on during those years though and that is I picked up quite an affinity towards drugs and alcohol and so that was easy for me to do because my businesses were on autopilot um, you know things took care of themselves I made a lot of money and had one bodacious drug habit that enabled me just to do a you know a 19 year party I always I always say I went to a party one night and I came home 19 years later wow. uh, and it was and it was quite the show um, it it sustained for a while for a number of years and then things began to crumble in my late 20s I began to get in trouble with the law my addictions took me to uh, pretty hardcore drug usage okay. uh, which led to problems in my first marriage I ended up losing my first marriage uh, because of my drug habit. And you would have thought that during that season, as well as um, losing half of the businesses that I had at the time to my ex-wife, uh, would have been enough to maybe get me to shape up or you know get right. things right. But it didn't. Um, I kept going, and it just was a spiral. Uh, I got in the cycle of... Uh, the the uh, law, um, I was I was arrested over and over and over again for drug <laughs> possession, drug sales. There was a lot of violence. Uh, there was spousal abuse, domestic violence. Um, um, I met a girl uh, who was like-minded with me at the time, who was going through a separation in her relationship as well, and uh, we connected and went on probably the next five-year trip to hell on earth, uh, had a child together, um, things just really spun out of control. And at 35 years of age, and at, by this time I had lost my businesses, I lost everything really. Um, I lost my marriage, um, all my toys, my house, you know, everything taken away from me. Um, and I still kept going, had a child with this, woman who was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and again, the arrests just kept happening. I, I accumulated a total of 23 arrests uh, wow. during, my, during my days. And um, one more incident happened that sent me running from the law. And it was a domestic violence incident. Um, 
that just somehow continued to keep popping up. I was just in this cycle. I didn't even know it, but I was in a cycle that was, you know, had been spiraling me down for a long time. And this incident sent me running from the law. And uh, I was up in the mountains, a little town in California called Big Bear Lake. And we had been up there for years and years. That, that, was, my, that was my home for a long time. And I pretty much went running from the mountain down the hill to get away from uh, the law. And I was facing a lot of time, you know. There's a lot of years that I was facing a lot of time. Uh, you know, I look back on it now, no felonies ever stuck, okay. which is really a miracle. Yeah, um, you know, the longest I ever spent in jail was county time. One time I spent 23 days. Uh, but out of all those arrests, you know, I was always facing years and years and prison time and such. But it's amazing how now that I look back, how God protected me through all that. But at any rate, I went down the hill. I had a crack pipe um, and some and some and some crack and a 40 ounce beer. I went down in front of the county hospital in San Bernardino and I, and I went into the bushes out there thinking every car going by was the cops. Um, and uh, I was just, I was paranoid. I'm sorry, I also had one other item on me, a butcher knife. I took a knife from my house wow. because I wanted to kill myself and I didn't have a gun and I thought, you know, being able to kill myself by a knife would be, Something I could do, I could hack my wrist, um, and I and I tried to do that. I sat out there for a number of hours, drinking my alcohol, finishing up the dope, lifting that knife, trying to trying to hack that wrist, um, and I just I couldn't do it. I didn't have the guts to do it. Finally, the alcohol's gone, the dope's gone, and I'm just sitting there like an idiot in the bushes, thinking every car that's going by is a cop that's going to get me. Um, I'm strung out of my mind and I thought, you know, uh, I just want to die. I really just wanted to die because what I had done once again through violence uh, to someone that I loved so dearly uh, was something that I couldn't wrap my, my, uh, my heart or my mind around. And I just, and that damage, I just, I just didn't feel that I deserved to live anymore. And I really did want to die. So I checked myself into San Bernardino County Hospital, suicidal. They put me under the suicide watch for 72 hours and pretty much deemed through testings and observation that I really wasn't a suicidal-minded uh, person, but rather just high. <laughs> and so okay. that's all they could do for me, and they, right. and, they, and they kicked me out. So there I am on the street, and I'm freaking out. I'm strung out. I weigh all of about 100 pounds, and right now I'm close to 200 pounds. So I was just a string bean, hair halfway down my back. I was just a kind of a rage maniac. That was in the days of pay phones. We're talking 1996 when this happened. And um, so I'm on the payphone trying to get a hold of my girlfriend, who of course is not answering. In fact, she's down getting the restraining orders and everything all in place that I will never come near her or any of the children again. My ex-wife had restraining orders. And I'm on that payphone and I'm slamming it down and I'm and I'm just and I'm grabbing my head and I'm just you know I'm thinking every single car that goes by is a cop that's gonna get me at any moment and I'm going to to prison. And as I'm freaking out on a corner, a man, an older man, walks up with a dog. He's walking his dog and he goes, I've been watching you. And I thought, oh boy, this is a cop. This has got to be an undercover. But it was, and he's like, and I know where you're coming from, I know where you're at. He goes, I've been there. And I've got a better way, something I'd love to show you. Would you like to come to my house and get your feet under you for a little bit? It's just me and my dog. And, uh, and of course, I thought, are you kidding me? Of course. Get me off the streets. I don't want to go to prison. Right. And so, but who does that? Who was this guy? You know, I've never seen him since, but it was an angel. I truly believe that it was an angel. And I prayed to God, maybe in heaven someday, if he made it there, I would love to meet him. But this man takes me into his house. And, um, and basically over the next few days, uh, he took me to what he, uh, deemed his better way. And that was Alcoholics Anonymous. So he took me to my first AA meeting. Um, and, uh, he tried to tell me this is what I need to do, that there is a better way and a better life. And I can get out of these addictions and the 12 steps are the way to do it. And so I was at his house for a few days. From there, he helped me to get into a seven-day rehab in Riverside, California. After that seven days, I jumped to a six-month rehab in L.A., L.A. County, Acton, actually. There's a rehab in Acton um, that was nothing but a 12-step rehab center. 
and I checked myself in for four months. Um, pretty soon after that, the cops found out where I was and they came down and paid me a visit and they said, uh, you've got, we've got a lot of things to take care of in right. the courthouse. Wow, I and, hope so. Yeah. And, but they said, if you want to better your life, you know, we're going to, we, we, we want you to be able to do that. So, you know, it was a voluntary rehab and they said, as long as you stay here, we'll leave you alone. And when you're done, we'll take care of things. It'll look good on you, you know, on your, on your, on your record. And, uh, uh, but if you decide to jump ship early for whatever reason, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be there instantly and we'll take care of business now. So I was there voluntarily, but not really. If I would have stepped foot outside of that gate, I, they, they were going to get me. And so over the next weeks and couple of months, you know, on the payphone when I could, trying to get a hold of my girlfriend, no answer, no answer, trying to get a hold of my ex-wife, no answer, no answer, just nobody, trying to get a hold of other family members, no answer. I basically was stripped of everything and I had to come to terms um, that they were out of my life and and it was like I was drowning and I just I was reaching for something reaching and there's nothing to reach for and it was an awful feeling and in that rehab there was a Baptist pastor from LA who was a repeat uh, a repeat attendee of this particular re rehab he battled a cocaine addiction and he was there at the same time that I was, and he started having these Bible studies off on the corner one or two nights a week. I can't remember how often it was, but anyways, I started going. I started hearing about just this crazy stuff. Jesus, this, this Jesus guy who forgives sins, <laughs> but not my sins. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't own that because my sins were great. Uh, but I kept hearing about this guy, Jesus, and, uh, and, how, and how it's a brand new life when you turn your sights to him. The former things, the old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Just weird stuff that my mind is like, that doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense. You know, I knew that there was a God uh, and I honestly believe that he loved me and gave me great favor in business and in my life. For many years there, I thought anything I do, I can succeed at because I was that good. I was that smart. I was that, you know, I, 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 it was right. all me. And I even remember one day at my back window, just looking up at the sky and saying, God, I know you're out there. And, you know, why, why me? Why, why do I get so much favor and blessings? And I remember answering myself and saying, Greg, it's because you're such a good guy. You know, I never stole. I never did anybody wrong. I I believe that I had a good heart, and, and I was at that time. <laughs> that was well. This was a little bit earlier when things were still being right, successful. Right. Yeah. You know, and I'm just. But my point to this is, I just I I remember saying, I, God loves me. I have favor with God because I'm a good person, which is what most of the world thinks. You know, that we're good people. Good people go to heaven, right? You know, so I always thought I was, but anyways, fast forward. So I'm in rehab now and I'm starting to go to these Bible studies and I'm learning about Jesus and I'm learning about, you know, God and how that has to happen through Jesus. That was the piece I never, I never understood. I never had Jesus in the equation. I really had no church or anything growing up. So I started learning about that. I ended up accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior, which wasn't this big, oh, the fireworks and boom, boom, right, boom. Right. You know, it was just, I accepted him and... And I thought, you know, I've lost everything, you know. See, that's where God had to take me. He had to remove everything out of my life in order for, you in to, order for me to understand that, you know, I need, I need, a, I need a lifeguard, you know. Yeah. I mean, I am drowning and that Jesus could be that lifeguard. Okay, I'm in a 12-step rehab, right? So in the meantime, I'm going to meet. They had every 12-step meeting you could ever want there. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Methamphetamine Anonymous, Sexaholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous. I mean, you, you know, Gamblers Anonymous. There's anonymous programs for everything that, that, I mean, they've got so many 12-step programs out there. But I loved it. I loved hearing about this higher power and how a power greater than yourself has to help you to overcome. You can't do it your own. I was soaking all that stuff up. They say to go, when you first get clean or sober, to go to 90 meetings in 90 days in these 12-step programs. Because I was in-house, I was, I was locked up, so to speak, in a rehab center, I went to 400 meetings my first 90 days. That's wow. all I did, morning to night. I tried all of them. I went to every 12-step meeting you could possibly want, and I finally settled in Narcotics Anonymous because, I, because they, 
they focus on what they call the disease of addiction. Okay, and the disease of addiction or, or alcoholism is an AMA classified, American Medical Association classified disease in there. And I believe that that's what I had. And it's, and it's uh, you know, and it comes down from generations. My mom was an alcoholic. My, I mean, my, her whole side of the family, generationally, as far back as I know my family, all struggled with mainly alcohol. Uh, in my life, I had taken it to drugs as well. So I, so I met Jesus. I'm going to these Bible studies. I'm just immersing myself in 12 steps. Six months goes by. I ended up staying for, I extended for two months. So I stayed for six months in this rehab. And by the time I left there, I was, I knew that I just had to go back and become the best person I could be. I needed to learn more about God. Um, you know, someday maybe my kids would be 18. Well, I knew that they would be 18 and maybe they would want to see me at that time. But I knew that I had to be a dad that they would want to see. And so, and, and I knew that I was far from that at that point. So I dedicated myself to just jumping into Narcotics Anonymous, going to church and learning about God and my Lord and Savior, now Jesus Christ. And so I went back up to Big Bear Lake and, um, Right across the street from my dad's house, I moved in with my dad, uh, uh, and at the, and like I said, he was the only one. Really, I lost all my family. I, I, you know, all my business, you know, everything's gone, right. except my dad. He was that piece that was always there. Um, and so I moved into his house right across the street. There's a, a church called Calvary Chapel Big Bear, and uh, and so I thought, okay, that's where I'll go to church. So I walked into church to this Calvary Chapel. And the pastor opens up the Bible, okay? And I'd been going to church when I was in re- rehab. They would bust us up, you know, on Sundays. I don't even remember where. I remember not getting much out of it, you know? They didn't really hand out Bibles or they didn't really teach out of the Bible. But this Calvary Chapel up in Big Bear, he opened the Bible, the actual Bible, and he started to teach out of it. And you know what? I understood what he was saying. And it blew my mind. It's like, how can I... A loser like me, you know, who, and I had picked up that Bible before and I'd read it and I tried to read it, you know, as a story or whatever. It didn't, you know, I I couldn't understand it. It didn't interest me, but I was enthralled at what I heard this guy say. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. I understand this. And I kept coming back every week. Wherever he would leave off, he'd pick it right back up the next week and start teaching right where he left off. And then I got to learn about this Calvary Chapel movement and, you know, and one of their their foundational distinctives is to teach verse by verse, expository style, um, out of God's word, you know, uh, and just, and it's con- continuous. So where they leave off one week, they pick up the next week. So I was up there for, I don't know, nine, 10 months up in Big Bear, just learning and growing um, I'm, I jumped into NA. I became the, I secretaried, I think three meetings a week. I jumped into the area service committee of Narcotics Anonymous for San Bernardino County. I like, I like attacked it, right? I attacked my sobriety with as much fervency as I attacked my addiction. Okay. Okay. I was told that early on, how far to what lengths would you go to get your next high? Oh, dude. I'd go, I'd go anywhere. I'd climb any mountain. I'd do anything for the next high. Well, will you do that for your relationship with God? Will you do that for your, your clean time now, your sobriety? You know, how much are you willing to give? You gave everything in your addiction years. Are you willing to give that now? And so my answer was yes. I wanted to, I wanted to do right. So I was doing all that and I was working at my dad's restaurant. He owned a restaurant up there. And out of the blue, nine months, so nine months later, so nine months after I had, I had been running from the law, um, all of a sudden out of the blue, nine months later, my girlfriend with my then two-year-old son comes walking into the restaurant to see me and I just, and my heart stopped, you know, and I thought, wow, she wanted to see what this nine month clean Greg looked like. Because she had never seen a nine-day clean, let alone a nine-not nine even a nine-minute clean. Greg, you know what I mean? I I was never clean. So so do you accredit uh, Calvary? Is, is is what Big Bear? Yeah. Do you uh, accredit them as like kind of like your start into 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 realistically turning 
I guess your your whole perspective around when it came to uh, to 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 giving yourself to to uh, uh, to Jesus Christ, right? What, 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 do you think like that? That was like the start, or or did you or did you somewhat know beforehand and just really didn't accept it at first until you went to that church? Because it, you know it, it, exactly it's like you said how they you know nobody was really reading out of the Bible until you went there, and yes. and then it was like a kind of like a, 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 a kind of like an epiphany where it was like whoa, like this is this is how it's supposed to be. Absolutely. I had accepted Christ at that rehab. Right. I was going through the motions, you know, as I've learned more about how God works and what this means in a believer's life. I I now know that when I accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit came inside of me. The Holy Spirit now is in me. That happens when a person puts their faith in Christ. Before that, the Holy Spirit is alongside of them. Right. You know, always trying to point them to Jesus. But when they finally make that decision... And, and invite Christ in. Now the Holy Spirit comes inside. So I did have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but I was just kind of going through some motions. Nothing had really clicked yet until I went in and was able to understand the Bible. So you, so you had no understanding at first, essentially. And no. now when you, when you went there, it, it, it was like, you know, kind of like you were kind of like reading, you know, you, you, you were reading Hebrew. And like, if you don't know how to read it, then it's like I'm just here. Yeah. But then when you get the, to 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 that you know to that church, it was like I can now read it. I can now, yeah. you know, I I I I understand the words. And the way he broke down the verses and explained what they meant, you know, uh, uh, one of the teaching styles that was implemented by Pastor Chuck Smith started the Calvary movement in the '70s with the hippies. So the hippie move, oh, it's actually called the Jesus movement back in the early 70s where there was this massive revival started with the hippies and Pastor Chuck Smith ministered to them in Costa Mesa, California. This was what God showed him was going to be his teaching style. And so, you know, this this Calvary way of doing it um, uh, is, is, is known as an inductive it's inductive Bible study, and it's done by three things. As you're looking at the passages, you're breaking it down from uh, the angle of observation, interpretation, and application. So you observe the text, okay? You see what it says, who's in it, you know, you just kind of see the nuts and bolts of it. Then you interpret it. Like, what is the, like, who was it being talked to? Who is the audience, you know, that this is being spoken to, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then finally, and the most important, application. What does this mean for me right now in the year, you know, back then it was 1996. But for us here today, what does this mean for us in 2020? Because the word is just as relevant today as it was when it was initially written. And it always will be. The word is very relevant and it applies to our lives today. And that is a huge staple of of the Calvary Chapel style of teaching. Calvary Chapels don't have the corner on this, but there isn't a lot of churches out there that teach directly, directly from, from the, the Word of God um, as solid as Calvary's do. So with that said, just to put a little a, a, a period at the end of this, yes, it was the opening up of that Word that just lit me up. And then I was talking to somebody in the congregation, and I still, I honestly was struggling with my worth to live. And I had a lot of creed time. I was coming up on, you know, a lot of months now. I was probably, by the time I had this conversation with this congregant, I probably had six or seven months clean and sober. I still really wrestled with forgiveness. I can never be forgiven. I mean, I was really having a hard time with that. I couldn't forgive myself. Right. I was being told God has forgiven me if I've confessed and repented of my sin, you know, but I was having a hard time understanding that and owning that. And so I really, you know, I just thought, man, I've just done too much damage. And this congregant said, have you ever read a book by Pastor Chuck called Harvest? And I'm like, no, I mean, I'm new to church and everything. Yeah. I've never even heard of it. They said, you should get it. In fact, they had a copy and they brought it to me. Harvest is a book of the biographies that Pastor Chuck wrote of all the early Calvary Chapel pastors. Uh, we're talking about people like Mike McIntosh, Raul Reese. Steve Mays, Skip Heitzig, they all run mega churches now and have been used since the 70s by God in amazing ways. And it's their biographies and Pastor Chuck tells their stories. I started reading their stories and honestly, I, I had to shake my head because most of their stories made my story look like a kindergarten story. These guys were 
out there. They were so whacked out of their mind on hallucinogenics and just just sin, just sin issues and sin nature, you know, in their lives were just to such an extreme. The stuff that they did was horrific. And I was, re- and, and I read that and I thought, if God could use idiots like this, and I use that word lightly, because yeah. I, I mean, I'm the biggest one, right? Then maybe he could use me? I mean, come on. That, 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 okay, that makes no sense. So it was really those couple of things, having that Bible open and being able to understand what was being taught to me, being able to read the Bible and understand the things that I'm reading, and then reading that book, Harvest, and seeing what God can do in the lives of what the world would deem losers, you know, because what the world deemed losers, God deems winners. I didn't understand that then, you know. Throughout my years, I've come to a great understanding of that because, I mean, God's got a sense of humor, right? I, you know, yeah. I'm pastoring a church now, but this is how I started. And uh, so long story, you know, very long story, try to end it here. Um, my girlfriend came in. She was on her way to moving to Las Vegas. She really liked what she saw in me for the little time that we talked. She wanted to talk more. We sparked back up a a relationship again. She moved to Las Vegas. I said, you know what? I want to move to Las Vegas. I want to be with you, you know? And she's like, well, first off, I mean, if you need a place to stay, you can come stay in the apartment with me and the kids, but you're going to be on the couch, right? And I was, I was on the couch for two years. Uh, when I came here, just trying to build trust again. Right. Trust takes a long time to build. It does. I got all my, I was taking care of all the legal issues. They took a couple of years to get all the legal issues behind me. Um, uh, they eventually got behind me. I followed her out here. My sponsor said, my sponsor in Narcotics Anonymous was like, you're stupid. You're moving to Vegas. You don't even have a year clean yet. Cause I was just a little shy of a year at this time that she moved and I wanted to move and you don't make any major life decisions in the first year. And you know, and, and plus you're going to Vegas. That's yeah, drug at Disneyland. Oof. You're dead. He goes, I washed my hands of you. You're done. And he threw some colorful language in there obviously. And told me, uh, you know, a few things and said, I'll see you wherever I see you kind of a thing, and it was really sad. I moved here to Vegas, I immediately got plugged into church, and I immediately got plugged into Narcotics Anonymous, and, um, and, uh, and I bet, you know, and I, and my heart was in the right place. I wanted by this time to do the right thing and to be a productive member of society. And now I was learning what it meant to be an active member in the family of God, which was a whole new concept to me. And so, um, as I came here over probably the next year, as I learned more and more about the Lord and God and how, you know, I would go to those meetings and declare I'm a recovering alcoholic, I'm a recovering addict. And, you know, the church kept telling me, why are you saying that? You know, it's done. You're recovered. And I'm like, no, I'm not, because that's not what those rooms teach, the 12 steps. It's like you're always going to be. You need those meetings for the rest of your life. You need to work those steps, okay, because you have a disease. And you're just as far from that next drink or 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 hit off the pipe as the next person. And so you, you've got to keep going and you actually become addicted to those meetings. Okay. Uh, But I didn't realize it at the time, but as the Lord was becoming more and more evident in my life and plus, you know, this whole higher power thing, Jesus Christ became my higher power. It's, it's all about Jesus. And in certain meetings, you talk about Jesus and you're going to get some ashtrays thrown at your head, you know, or they're going to threaten to take you outside and, and, you know, and, and, and beat some reality into you because God ain't real. And, you know, that's good for you, but not for me. And don't be bringing it here. And it got contentious. And so again, it didn't take much time. It was probably over the next year that I just faded out of the 12 steps. I became to realize that God uses those, those 12 steps. God uses all kinds of things to get to people. He used those rooms of the 12 step programs to bring me to himself. Okay. But, um, but honestly, it's a one-step program. It's God that does it. God heals. God restores. God, you know, through through the ingestion of his word, now it begins to work inside. It's an inside-out job. It's not an outside-in. Those 12-step programs, it's it's... It's working things. Even in in Alcoholics Anonymous, we would close every meeting with a prayer and then we would all chant, it works if you work it, okay? Which is just goes against 
the way God works, you know? <laughs> it's like God does all the work. You get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in you, and the change happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. Outside in is temporary. Inside out is eternal. And I began to understand that change. And so... I came here, I went to work in the restaurant industry, uh, started with Applebee's, I went into management, I worked my way up. Um, I was offered a better job on the strip with uh, a big Mexican food uh, ch chain that was uh, that had the, the franchise stores, and so I got connected with them, was making unbelievable money uh, on the strip, and had worked my way up the ladder to upper management, was had a promising future, uh, things were just going great. And I was going to Calvary Chapel, Green Valley over in Henderson okay. at the time. I was, I was just going to ask, what was the first, <coughs> uh, I guess, the first church out here that you went to? Well, I started at Calvary Chapel East, it was called, on Tropicana and Pecos. Okay. It's no longer there. It's, it's still in existence, but it's over by Sunrise Mountain. It's oh. called Calvary Chapel Sunrise. Same pastor. He's the one that married my girlfriend. Okay, let, let me tie up this. We finally got married. We finally got it figured out. Um, you know, wow. And I'm yeah. grateful the Lord didn't return in those years that I really didn't understand what the fornicating means because I just didn't. I just didn't have an understanding of it. Um, but I finally got it, and I asked her to marry me. She said yes. We got married. So this pastor married us. I was baptized uh, by by him, and we were there for a while. Uh, and and but but we needed a youth group for our kids, and it was a smaller uh. church, and they didn't have a youth group. My kids were going into junior high, and there was this other church down the street, another Calvary Chapel. Right. You know, there's nine Calvary Chapels here in the Las Vegas Valley. Oh, okay. And so I ended up at Green Valley, and that's where we were going, and. Um, and uh, in 2004, uh, that pastor took a trip to Israel. It was his very first time taking a team, uh, you know, uh, a group. And so me and Vicky, my wife, uh, were on that trip. And, uh, and it was over there after getting rededicated in the Jordan River where Jesus got baptized. I got rededicated there. And when I came up out of that water, I just had this warmth that came upon me and I... And I just heard this still small voice telling me, you're going to leave your job. And it made no sense because we had finally arrived. From what me and my wife at this time and our, our family had been through in our life, we had finally, I was making great money. Right, kind of settled into what settled you Settled in. We owned our home. Everything was just, you know. Everything was looking, you we, know. We could support the church. We could support missionaries. We could right. be doing all kinds of things with the money that we were making. And for, you know, me to hear you're going to leave your job was almost like she even said, yeah, whatever. It must have been a bad falafel for breakfast that you right. ate or something. But you know what? I couldn't shake that that whole trip. And again, a million details went into this. But to make another long story short, that was in March of 2004 and June 1st of 2004. I left my job through a whole series of events that happened in that three short months. I left my job and went on staff at Calvary Chapel Green Valley at an 80% pay cut. Ooh. I was going to lose on paper, and my wife almost left me. I called her the day I got hired. I was so excited. It was one of the happiest days of my life. And I said, "This I got I got this job. I'm going to be an administrator. This is the money I'm making. It's 80% less, right? And her response was, I hope you're happy. And she hung up the phone on me. And that was my welcome into the ministry. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and again... A ton of details go into it, but on paper, we were going to lose everything. everything, and we didn't lose one thing. The really? craziest, craziest things happened. We refied the house. We paid off things. We just all kinds of things happened. Plus, I had IRS after me for $100,000 because of my businesses that my ex-wife oh, got. She never paid any of her payroll paid. taxes. Okay. And so, and even though in a court of law, in the decree said she gets all assets and liability of that business, IRS is above any court of law in the land. And they said, no, no, you were on that original and you owe it. And so not only was I taking an 80% uh, pay cut, but I had IRS breathing down my neck for a hundred grand. And everything got settled, including the IRS, because they eventually settled for 10 cents on the dollar. But with other things that happened, all my debt got eliminated uh, after about one year. And of the, I actually ended up losing, of the amount of money that I lost on a monthly basis by going from 
my full-time job in the world into exactly. ministry, I actually ended up coming within $50. After we paid off all of our bills, it was a difference of like 50 bucks a month. And we tightened up our belt just a little bit and we were able to survive. And then of course, pay raises and increases and yeah, stuff yeah. came as we went, but we ended up not ever losing anything. So that's how I, that's a really long story of my testimony and how I came into the ministry. And I was on staff at that church for 15 years. Wow. Uh, before the Lord. And I was number two in command. Uh, we built that church from uh, about 250 people when I started uh, up to about 2,500 people when we left. Wow. Um, so we did a lot of ministry. We did a lot of events. I learned so much. And I was settled in for the rest of my life. Right. You, Me and my pastor said, till death do us part. Yeah. You kind of put in, uh, you know, heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. Pretty much everything into in, into this, you know, uh, into, into 15 years. I mean, 15 years is a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a good amount of time to, and, to, to put into something. And I thought I was there till the Lord comes back. And then I had a stirring about four years ago now going back and I just was becoming unsettled. I couldn't figure it out again. And then God eventually showed me it's because I'm calling you now to start a church, which started the whole prayer process of where now are we leaving Vegas? No, we're staying in Vegas. Where in Vegas? We, you know, we just prayed for two years. We prayed and we fasted along the way till God finally settled us in the Summerlin area of the valley where we've been since 2017. So with all that, uh, you know, the, the two years before you, you started the church, um, what what uh I guess what what hurdles or or who who essentially I don't want to say tried to block you or tried to deny you or just you know kind of try to sway you in, in, into not doing that the people that you knew you know if if anybody has I'm not saying anybody did but if anybody has you know try to kind of sway your way or yeah. what kind of hurdles you 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 had to go through yourself in, in in order to you know for the calling that that came upon you. Uh, and for it to be like, you know what, I, I, you know, I need to start this. You know, I, I was, I, I was told to start this, Yes. you know, uh, what, what, what struggles or, or, you know, or hurdles, hardships, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Yes. Did you have to go through? Well, I mean, I have to say the biggest challenge that I had was parting ways with my beloved pastor because we had been literally joined at the hip. I mean, we knew each other so well, we co-labored, you know, we were, we could finish each other's sentences, okay? And I was his right-hand man, and I conducted all the business of the church. I really wanted him. I took my calling very seriously. The calling of a second-in-command is a high calling, okay? My job is to protect him. My job is to allow him time to study the Word and to teach. He's an amazing teacher who brought the Word forth in an amazing way. I said under the best teaching you could possibly have for those 15 years. But my job was I needed to keep as much off of his plate as I could, you know, so that I could do that. So when it came time to go, it was like, you know, the emotions were there. You know, it was a hard emotionally for me. It was hard emotionally for him, uh, others in the ministry, you know, because we were a part of that church right. from their early, from their er- early days. From their, yeah, from like you their, know? their small yeah. beginnings. So. Yeah, and, and you know what? But when God's moving you, you know it, and you can't, you can't deny it. I mean, it, the stirring was so strong. The confirmations were just one after another. Um, you know, we, we, we had been given, you know, the location. It is in Vegas. It's on the west side of the valley. It's in the specific part of the west side of the valley. All of those took months and months of, of prayer, you know, as God was showing us through different ways exactly where we're going to be. We had all of that. And when that happened, um, there was an opportunity at the church I was still at for for us to go out on the mission field and to lead a team of young adults for one year. And my pastor came up and asked, so it's a program for 18 to 29 year olds. Uh, uh, It's a discipleship program where we take them up and out of their culture, get them out on the mission field. It's not a missions program, it's a discipleship program, but it's conducted out on the mission field. In other words, get them away from their culture, get them away from their technology, get them away from all the distractions that help that prevent them from hearing God's voice. Get them out there and help them during that year to better be able to discern God's voice, 
uh, and ultimately obey God's voice. God may call them to be missionaries on foreign soil or wherever, um, or maybe not. I mean, we're all missionaries, so to speak. No matter, as a believer in Christ, we are to take the gospel and share it, whether it's in our family, in our work, in our schools, you know, wherever God has us, in our neighborhoods. We're to, we all are missionaries to, to an extent, but God calls some to be foreign soil missionaries, and maybe he would call them to do that, or maybe not, but that wasn't the purpose of the year. The purpose of the year is just to help them to better be able to um, understand and hear God. Okay. Um, and so, you know, but we'd already been told where the church was going to be. We had been given the name of the church right. by the Lord. It was confirmed, and so I told my pastor... He came and he says, we have this opening for one year. Would you guys maybe want to do it? You know, he he believed in us. He loved how we did uh, the ministry. There were some changes in the program that we needed to get back to. He knew we could do it because we'd been involved in the leadership of it the whole time. But on this side, not on the not on the mission field, right. but uh, stateside, we were part of the leadership team. So he asked if we would pray about it. And I, I kind of shake my head now, but... I remember the conversation so well, I'll never forget it. I He gave me the proposal, and my answer was, you're my pastor, I will go pray, but I already know the answer, and I'm not going to say the word, but I'll give you a hint. It's a two-letter word, and it starts with N. And and I laughed, and he laughed, and, and, and we parted ways. And me and my wife, we went, and we seriously locked ourselves in our prayer closet, which was our closet. We had a big walk-in. We locked ourselves in there for three days. We told the kids and the grandkids, we're off limits. We're just going to go and just be quiet before the Lord. We're going to fast. We took some water and some bread in there and some notebooks and our Bibles. And, and we just sat. And we sat for three days. And wow. you know what God said? God said, no, you're going on the mission field. And, okay. and it made no sense. It's like, well, we don't have time for this. At the time, it made no sense. And, uh, yeah, at the time, it made no sense. Thank you. Um, but God said it, and we're going to do what God says, no matter if it, if it makes sense to us or not. You know, we're going to do what God says. So we went out on that mission field, and, and I laugh now because God was calling us to do ministry in an entirely different way and direction than the church I came out of. If I would have just come straight here, I would have launched... A duplicate of how they're doing ministry over there and they're doing great and they're called to do it that way but he's calling us to be more missions we are an outside of the walls church the church over there is more of an inside of the walls we did a ton of great ministry great right. teaching great events great great things happened at the church but god's calling us to to go to go 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 and to raise missionaries and to send them and to and to establish churches internationally. And I would have never known that if we wouldn't have you, gone out on the mission field yeah, for that year. stayed here. So it was, a, it, it was a plan that, uh, you know, like you said before, that, you know, you, you know, we, you know, God knows the plans, right? right? He, he knows what's going to happen regardless, Amen. you know, even if you don't know. Yep. So, you know, and, and, and you saying at first, like, no, I'm not going to do that, you know. We're going to go our separate ways. You know, in your mind, it was like, hey, you know, I learned so much, you know, from this guy that, you know, I'm I'm going to do what he had been doing because, Absolutely. because it works. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's like you said, going <laughs> out on that mission was like, man, you know, his way does work, but it probably doesn't work for me. Exactly. And, and I now know that. So now when you moved on, when you, when you did the, the year mission, uh, when you came back, uh, how was the how was the perspective of, of, of you know, starting your your own church your way now you know now how how did that how did that make you feel starting it your way and not and not being a cookie cutter on one side really exciting i was very confident because when you know that you're doing what the lord has called you to do you have a confidence you should have a confidence you need to have a confidence and i'm strong enough in my relationship with the lord that that i know that and i had a great confidence so by faith I'm as confident and excited as I possibly can be. By sight, we have no money. We have no resources. We moved to, we only moved to the other side of the valley, so 25 miles away, but we never came over here for nothing. So moving over here was like, so weird. Whoa. It's like moving to a different country. We knew nobody, okay? We 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 didn't start with, with, with a team, with a big startup team. We didn't start with any resources, 
And again, as God had showed us so many times in the past, his faithfulness, especially in the area of resources, of just providing. Where God guides, God provides. Pastor Chuck would always say that, and and he's right. If God's in it, you know, he's going to provide, but it ain't going to be easy. And, you know, again, by sight, there was times... I don't see how we're going to be able to pay the rent at the school that we're at, which is due in two weeks. I mean, we're done. I don't know how many times the first, really the first year, but especially the first six months, I said, we're done. We're done. We're done. Right. You know, and, and then, and the resources would come in. Kept, kept coming they in. just keep coming in. You know? And so, so it's twofold, you know, by, by faith, but you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. My faith has grown so much in the last two years, more than in my entire 20, I got saved in 96. So what am I now? 24 years old uh, in my, in my time with the Lord. My faith has grown in the last two years in ways that it never grew before. Um, This is the hardest thing and the most rewarding thing that we've ever, ever, ever done. And so you know, all kinds of things are happening at the church. It's just, it's exciting, you know. We're a smaller church. If everybody shows up right now, we're about 120. So. I wouldn't say small. I, I say intimate, you know, a more intimate yes. uh, type, of, te, te, you know, type of church, which is, it's not bad, obviously. I mean, you're, you're you know. You, Relationship. Right. You know, you get to really, uh, uh, you get to really put yourself into knowing everybody in your congregation. Correct. And then, you know, if you think about it, if, if, if everybody in your congregation brings one person, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, and whether they stay or not, they get yeah. to hear something. They get to hear the word. Yeah. And then, but like, let, let, let's just say out of the month, right, they bring a person each time. And, and let's say one person out of those four times actually stays. You know, you, 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 they're now learning the word and they're not necessarily, uh, you know, getting pushed away or, you know, it isn't something like you said, you know, you're, you're, you know, the job for the church is to, to, as far as like missions, as far as building churches, you know, uh, uh, around the world. Reproducing. You know, unlike the church that that you were at before, you know, which 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 wasn't a bad thing, but you know, no. they they were more internal. That they, they're more here, and that's you know, uh, it's like you said, that wasn't a style that uh, you know. Probably God knew that you you weren't. I, I don't want to say weren't going to be good at, but it was probably it, it, it was probably a style <laughs> that's that probably it. that you know he probably saw like that that isn't for you. You know, right. it's not your. Uh, Exactly. Uh, it's not your lane. It's, it's, yeah. it's not your field. You know. So he he knew automatically what what you were good, what you were really good at. Yes. So he 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 first tried to softly point you in in the right direction. <laughs> you obviously weren't listening, and no. then he you know he came down and was like, "Look, this is what you're doing." Everything in my life, he's had to pretty much hammer me on. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a knucklehead. I so. don't get things <laughs> easily. But God is relentless, and He will move us where He wants us whether we cooperate with him or, or not. not. Right, and right. so that's the great thing. I was just wanted to say, Nolan, real quick, is that, um, you know, Pastor Chuck would always say, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. And so as people are coming and experiencing what I experienced all those years ago, where the Bible gets opened and there's a teacher up there explaining and they can now understand the Bible. I have a church filled with those people right now. And I just love it because I remember like it was yesterday, me crawling into Calvary Chapel, Big Bear and how I felt. Well, I've got them all over. And so as they take their excitement and share it with their neighbors, you know, others, you know, that they know, uh, really it's the grassroots expansion that's going to take place. Pastor Chuck would always tell us Calvary's don't, they don't grow in numbers fast. It takes time for the word of God because the way it's taught, I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot of truth. It's not feel good messages. No. You don't walk out of there, you know, you know just, feeling, you just know. feeling like you are king of the world. And you shouldn't because the the word of God is a, a mirror that we need to reflect our own lives out of. And, and that's our that's our measuring stick is the word of God. And, and you know what? We're a mess. And that's how the conviction works is you read the word. you The Holy Spirit shows you how short you fall of that. And then when you leave now, I mean, that's your marching orders. Now, what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? That's how God grows us and strengthens us. And that's how change happens. But it's not... It's not the most popular way. Very few churches teach that way anymore. They're topical teachings. They're very feel-good teachings. 
um, and you know, it's it's gospel light is is all over the church in these last days. Right. And so it's not the most popular way, but it will growth will happen, but it's going to happen from the inside out as as excited sheep, so to speak, go so, out and and invite other sheep that get excited. So would you say Calvary Church is it's like a, a brutal honesty uh, when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to that, as far as, you know, uh, you know, just kind of like being like an honest person, right? Nobody, you know, people want to have that honesty from a person, but, uh, nobody really wants, uh, that honesty told to them. Right. Well, and that's a good, that's why my job isn't that hard because I'm just the messenger and I tell them right, all the time, right. don't kill the messenger, right? Just, you take, you have a problem with this, you take it up with the one who, who created all of this, you know, God, uh, because it's the word of God that I am declaring. It is honesty. It's, it's, it is the brutal honesty because we don't sidestep any part of the scriptures. It's not a smorgasbord. Right, right. It's a, Too many Christians approach the word of God today as a smorgasbord. And like they skip certain yeah, I don't like this. This is things, my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. That kind of stuff. We don't do that. We are continual or continuous expository teaching verse by verse throughout the Bible. Wherever we leave off, we pick it back up. So we're so we're covering the good, the bad, and the ugly. The Bible's filled with a lot of different things. Right. <laughs> and so. uh, and all of them apply to us today. So is that is so is that where uh you would say why 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 would people choose Calvary churches mm. over over any other church? In and it's it's not to say you know every other church is bad or is good. No, no. But like, what what do you you know? I know we talked about the the whole honesty and and reading from the book. Uh, is there is there anything else besides that that would that that would hone in like why choose Calvary over let's say a Baptist church or you know a or or Catholicism yes. or uh, or or being a Lutheran uh, being a uh, you know, man, there's there's so many out there's there. There's so right? many different. So you know what what uh what what would you say is like the, you know the the like your stand, I guess. Well, and again, I covered probably the most important and the foundational is the word, the way that it's taught, um, unabashed and and uh, and without excuse. Right, we're gonna bring it. You're gonna get the word. You're gonna you're gonna eat meat. I mean, it's the meat of God's word that we're dining on all the time. Once you get a taste of that and get used to that, you can't go back to church light, gospel light, milk. Right. Okay, if you like your steak, you're not gonna be satisfied off of milk. That's the foremost. The second thing I would think is the balance, uh, which is you know, which comes out of the biblical um, standards. Uh, of the operation and the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's so many churches today, and um, and I won't insert any you know names or, or no. denominations into any of this. But some churches will absolutely they're they're just dry. They do not allow the movement and the work of the Holy Spirit. Many uh, many churches believe in um, what's known as c- c- cessationism, which means that the the gifts of the Holy Spirit ended or ceased at the end of the apostolic age. So when the apostle John was the last apostle to die, when he died, the gifts of the Spirit are no longer in existence. They're no longer, and and we and we completely disagree with that. You know when somebody has the gift of teaching or the gift of administration right. or the gift of hospitality or the gift of helps or if they speak in tongues or have the gift of interpretation of tongues, you know, the gifts... I don't know. I, I've never been able to understand that. How how you can well, and I know the verses that they use to argue that, and and their arguments weak. I'm sorry. So many of them quench or or minimize. You know um, what they allow the Holy Spirit to do. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. You know, if he's pushed away or or you know interrupted, he will back off. You know, same with Jesus. They, you know, God does not force Himself upon anybody. Right. We have to. There is the freedom of choice that we have. Right. You know, uh, there's yes, the sovereignty of God, you know, is completely in operation. Calvinism uh, is is true. 
Um, but there's another side to that coin, Arminianism, which is man's free will. It is equally as true. And so we are not Calvinists. We're not Arminianists. We, we balance them both. Okay. God is sovereign. Um, but we have free choice, you know, to do things. So there's that side where they quench or they, they just limit the, the movement or diminish the movement of the, of the Holy Spirit. And then there's some that are just to the other extreme where they're just, there's no order in their gatherings. They're speaking in tongues. They're running up and down the aisles, barking in the spirit. They're slain in the spirit there. We, you know, that is not, uh, that is not biblical either. Okay. So, um, we find a balance at the church. You know, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the operation of the gifts, but God is decent and in order as well. And so that can cause a lot of confusion, those those other churches. You know, a newcomer comes in and sees some of that going on, and some of them will go and hide under the pews yeah. uh, kind of a thing. And so... Um, you know, you've got to, you've got to strike the balance and that balance has to come straight from what the word of God says. Um, you know, the Bible says that the apostle Paul said that, um, that, uh, that the gifts of the spirit are subject to the prophet. Okay. So in other words, we can't just say, Oh, the spirit came upon me and I lost all control. Yeah. That's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. Okay. The Spirit will never just overtake us and and cause us to do things that are, you know, out there. Unheard of, right. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, anyway, so I would say those are the two things, the Word of God and how we handle the work of the Holy Spirit, which I think is very important in how churches operate today. They, well, and all throughout church history, but today right. is no less okay. important. So, uh, so, in, so, in, so in conclusion with this... Uh, where what's what's going forward when it comes to the the Calvary movement and also Calvary also Calvary Red Rock? What what's the what's the uh, I guess uh, any any advice or or any anything that's that's going to be happening within this year? You know, coming up. Well, this this year is a very challenging year, and hopefully the listeners that hear this will understand that. All you have to do is turn on the five o'clock news and see what's happening in all different types of our, of our, uh, of our country, and of our world. There's just a lot going on that we as believers need to be able to navigate through. For Calvary Red Rock, we're going to stay, we're going to stay committed to the Word. We're going to teach the Word, uh, you know, week by week. We're going to study the Word. Um, we have a Bible reading plan out. I'm encouraging everybody to be in the Word throughout the week. We, as believers, need to read God's Word every day, okay? There's no spiritual growth that's going to take place without the ingestion of the Word. You can never get enough of the Word in you. And so, whether you understand it or don't understand it, there's some great study Bibles out there. Get a study Bible, you know, but find a reading plan. We have a reading plan for our church uh, but there's a ton of them out there and start reading the word every day. So we're going to do that. I'm going to keep encouraging people to grow in the grace and knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, specifically by staying in the word. We are going to, we launched three international churches in 2019, two in Mexico, one in Cambodia. We are going to maintain those works, but we are going to slow down on international projects and really focus on Vegas for 2020. That we okay. believe is what the Lord has showed us for 2020. Really work on the congregation of our church. We meet at Palo Verde High School, which is a, a huge high school here in the Summerlin area. We've got a great mission field right at that school, let alone Summerlin, let alone the Las Vegas Valley. Okay. So we're going to focus more here for the year 2020, maintain what we're doing overseas. Um, and there's a lot to that as well. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just encourage people, uh, you know, to, I mean, we're in an election year. There's just a lot of decisions and a lot of narratives and talk going on out there that we need to be careful of and make sure that we're plugged into God's word and hearing his voice. You know, we don't, as believers, I always say, we really don't, we shouldn't be concerned about following um, the donkey or the elephant, right? right? We follow the lamb, right? Right, And he's the one, he's the king of all kings, and he's the one who's ultimately in control. And so press into that, see what that means for you individually in this upcoming year. Okay, no problem. Uh, well, I definitely appreciate that. That was a 
really good first episode. Uh, so I also want to, uh, if you want to kind of put in a, uh, as, as we call it, a plug uh, to, to your services. Sure. Um, uh, to the continuous ones, right? Yes. Uh, and then, uh, you know, from there, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and end it. This is great. Um, all right. We meet at Pelliberty High School. Uh, we meet in the Performing Arts Theater. We love it there. We meet every Sunday morning at 930. Uh, and then we come back together on Wednesday nights and we do a midweek study beginning at 630 um, at Palo Verde High School as well. Wednesdays were in the Old Testament. Sundays were in the New Testament. Um, and so come and be with us. Any and all information can be found at calvaryredrock.org. Um, and uh, uh, you can download our app from that platform as well. So um, any questions, contact us, and, and we'd, love to, we'd love to connect with you. All right. Well, you know, like I said before, I, I appreciate that. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, everybody, please stay tuned. We're going to have more episodes drop. Uh, we love you guys. We appreciate you guys. Please like, subscribe, leave comments for anything that you want to hear in the future, uh, or or that you can go to that um, uh, to that website. You know, leave any kind of comments that that you'd like to hear in the future as well. Uh, you guys have a very blessed day.